finish at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pig with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the servant said to his but the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because we have him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property, your property with prostitutes, come home, you fill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Across the UK, officially, approximately 170,000 people are reported missing each year. Charities working in this 
in this sector believes the figure to be much higher. Having somebody missing must be a traumatic, stressful and heartbreaking situation. And some families suffer the not knowing for many, many years. So as we come to a time of prayer now, we will pray for them and we will pray for those working towards reunited loved ones. Let us pray. Keith, can we have the next slide? Sorry, you've probably got the next pin lined up, but we'll go, we'll go to the slides next, if that's okay. Oh, we're up, we're up. Right, so this is a well-known uh, uh, parable, and it's got loads of parables. There's the son, the lost son, the loving father, the patient father. And as we go through, today we're going to look at the aspects of this that sh show us what God is like as a father. Uh, and I'm very conscious that God is the perfect father and nobody in this room has a perfect father. Some of us had better fathers than others. And uh, so this, this story, which talks about prodigal, the pain of having a prodigal in our life, and uh, it also talks about fatherhood, and that this story can bring up a lot of emotions. And I just want to acknowledge that and uh, hope that as we go through this, it turns us to what God is like as a father. Uh, but I did find uh, somebody who, who, who believes that they are, that he's actually issued a book and he's uh, a photographer and he has claimed that he's the world's best father. And so he's a photographer. So these are the photographs that he has uh, published to show how great he is as a father. So uh, also through the next one, I'll let you turn the page if that's all right. This is him on his late for work. <laughs> so that proves it, doesn't it? Uh, so let's have a look at the next one. This is a, a, a feeding his daughter steak and eggs for breakfast. This is what baby doesn't want steak and eggs for breakfast. Uh, I don't know if he doesn't even have teeth there. Um, and the next one, uh, this is what he called my dad. So uh, uh, educating and punishing his daughter via uh, a laptop. Now, uh, there's only three. There are a lot of them. As I said, there is apparently a, a book uh, and if you're a follower of Instagram, uh, then he's there. It's uh, David Engeldale. Um, I don't use the surname, and I hope I pronounced it correctly. Um, but these are clearly ironic, because no good father would put their baby on the roof and drive, drive to work. But he's produced these photographs because he said his greatest fear is that he will be distracted by the busyness of life and miss seeing his daughter grow up. Um, and I think that's, that's a lovely sentiment, but they are just photographs, and we don't know what he's actually like as a photograph, he, uh, as a father. He gives the impression of being great, but uh, uh, you know, none of us have that perfect father. Um, but as we go through this, let's look at what God is like. Now, I know this story is uh, probably very familiar to anybody that has grown up in church, and many that have perhaps not. But it starts with that phrase, Jesus continues. So it's a continuation of what is going on previously. And the beginning of that chapter in verse 1 is important to learn the context of why Jesus gave this parable. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus' book. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man 
welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. And he tells three parables at that point, and this is the third. So he tells, that, and those parables together form a unit of teaching about the theme of lost and found. So he talks, the first one is about the, uh, the lost sheep, uh, where the, the shepherd goes and searches for one sheep when the 99 are safe left in the pen. The next one is the uh, searching for the lost coin, and the woman searches for one coin when she's top, she's got nine, but she's, she's lost one. And she turns the house upside down in searching for one. And then this one, you've got the lost son. And so you've got this whole unit of teaching that Jesus uses to rebut the grumbles and the muttering of the Pharisees. Because in their view, sinners were beyond redemption. They were people of low social status. They were the sick, they were the uneducated. They had the wrong jobs. Tax collectors, shepherds or publicans were all considered to be sinners. And they were all people that the Pharisees perceived would be completely unacceptable to God. They were looking at the outside appearance. They were looking at the outside appearance. And in their judgment, these people could not be saved. They couldn't understand why Jesus was speaking with them. And they were not happy about that. Let's remember, this is exactly the type of people that Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 were the people that he was coming to release and to, uh, to set the captives free, to, to free the oppressed. So Jesus was doing what he said he would do and the Pharisees were not happy about it. And the previous two, two parables make the same point at the end. In verses 7 and 10 of chapter 15, those two verses emphasise the party in heaven, the celebration in heaven, when this one sinner sinner repents. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees how precious these people are to God. And this story brings that message home again. So the father has got two sons, the younger one decides he wants his inheritance now, and his father agrees. He takes his money, he leaves home, heads to a distant country, and squanders his inheritance on a life of partying and wild living. And then famine hits the foreign land. He's left with no money. His so-called friends desert him. And he takes a menial job. One that no Jew would ever, ever wish to take. One that renders him unclean and defiled. It would put him in the category of an unredeemable sinner. He was herding pigs. He has hit rock bottom. And at this point in the story, the light bulb goes on. Verse 17 says, he came to his senses. And this is the pivotal moment in this story. He realizes that he's worse off staying where he is than going back home to, one of his, to be one of his father's servants. He travels back home and apologises to his father. He has the humility to expect not to be a family member, but to become a servant. But when he gets close to home, he's spotted. His father runs to greet him, not cool in that 
in that uh, culture for people to be seen running in public, but he runs to greet him and gathers him in his arms in celebration. The son admits his guilt before God and before his father, but never, never gets to be treated as a servant. The father is too busy throwing a banquet in his honour. And then meanwhile, his older brother hears the party, and rather than join the celebration that this long-lost brother is back, he resents it and is angry with his father for throwing a lavish party for his wayward younger son. There are some parables, uh, some parallels with the parable that we looked at a couple of weeks ago with the workers in the vineyard, the ones who were paid, uh, who had been there all day, expected to get more money, and they resented the generosity of the vineyard owner in giving the workers that had arrived only an hour earlier the same wage. And there are parallels of that in this story. The elder brother resented the generosity of the father and let us never be a people that resents the blessing that God gives somebody else. It's easy to think that, say, with Tesla's church, they've got a lot of people on staff. But let us just rejoice that they, you know, they had hundreds of children and families through their doors on that Friday. What a wonderful thing, you know, to have 75 secondary school children coming to a Christian youth club. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Sorry, I've gone off track. Um, so what does this story, what is this story going to say to the Pharisees and what does this story say to us today? So I'm just going to pick out a few points. First of all, there is no reason given for the younger son's request to have his inheritance now. He doesn't say that he's going to get married and he's going to set up a business. He just decided he wants his money. And there may not be a specific reason why somebody becomes a prodigal. The father is not criticised for agreeing to let the son go. And I know we've prayed as well a, a prayer of, uh, Lord forgive us if we have driven the prodigals away. But sometimes we can have that false guilt that it's all about us. Some of these prodigals are adults. They have been given the message. They know they are loved, and yet they still choose to leave. Stop wallowing if that is you. Uh, stop feeling that there is a false sense of guilt here. Turn it to God and let him reach out to the prodigals. The father gave this gift, the, the gift of free choice. The son was given the inheritance, and it was up to then the son to take responsibility for how it was given. And God gives us free choice. He gives everybody free choice. Whilst we long for people to come to know God, and God longs for people to come to know him, we cannot force that. We cannot, there is no formula to say, if you do this, your friend, your, your relative, your colleague will become a Christian. We can do everything we can. We can be honouring to God. We can share the gospel. But God does give people free choice. Our response is to keep praying and just be honouring to God in how we deal with those people. The father gave everything he had, despite how incredibly rude it is, for a son to say, I want my inheritance now. 
I mean, he's effectively saying to the father, I wish you were dead already. Uh, I can't wait for you to die. I don't want you to have a long life. I want my money now. But notice what the father did. In verse 12, uh, in verse 12, the Bible says, he divided his property between them. Between them. The implication is that he gave his inheritance to both the sons. Both the sons received their inheritance at the time. The older son traditionally would have had two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son a third. And this is supported by verse 31. When the elder brother is complaining, the father says to him, everything I have is yours. The father gave away everything he had. And we have a loving heavenly father that gave away his precious son. We sometimes sing the song, um, yet not I, but in Christ, but Christ in me, which which starts, there was no gift more, there was nothing more for heaven now to give. Jesus is everything. Psalm 23 is, if we have the Lord, we have, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. We have a loving Heavenly Father who gave everything he had. And all that was needed for the Son to be restored into the family and to be welcomed with a lavish banquet was that he came to his senses and returned home. In verse 17, that's the phrase he is used. He came to his senses. Verse, uh, Psalm 51, verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. The son had to repent. It wasn't just a case of being remorseful and feeling sorry for himself, admitting he was wrong. He could have done that and stayed where he was. But he, he went home. He could have chosen not to face the music, knowing how rude and impertinent he had been. But he didn't let his pride get in the way. He's lost all his pride, I suspect, by having to work with the kids. Repentance takes action and it takes humility. He had to turn away from the, the wild living that he'd done. He had to admit his mistake and he had to return to the father. The father who had been patiently <coughs> waiting, spotted the son before he even got back and greeted him. He was filled with compassion for him and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. He was waiting. There was no expectation that his son would come back. There was no hint. The father said he considered him dead. And in a sense he was. He was dead in his sins, as we are when we are not in Christ. But the, the father didn't give up hope. He was still waiting and waiting. And the son got his apology out. And he said, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He never really was. And we, even though when we come to Christ in repentance, what a, what a wonderful joy that is, that we are welcomed into God's family. 
But we can never say we, were, we are no longer worthy, or we are now worthy. We never are worthy to be called God's child. It is a gift of grace. This father gave everything he had. He allowed his son to be rude to him. He's not criticised for doing that. And the Bible promises, like this son who gave his word to Tibetan, he came to his senses. And that's all it was. He was restored into the family. And that's all we need to be born into the family of God. That we come to our senses, we repent of our sins. And we go back home to the Father who welcomes us, who loves us, impatiently waiting for us. This is the teaching that the Pharisees did not expect, did not want, and were grumbling about the attitude that Jesus showed, that he valued sinners. It teaches us that God welcomes and restores them, the outcast, the oppressed, the sinned against, and the sinners. We can all be restored to family status. And our restoration is welcomed with a banquet. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. <coughs> Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let us pray. what a wonderful and remarkable thing it is that we can be born into your family, that you accept us as children, that you call us, that we are a child of God and that is what we are. We thank you for the gift of your son, that whilst we were still sinners, he came, he died and was risen, that we might have newness of life. We thank you that in those moments when we feel lost, in those moments when we feel far away, all we need to do is to come to our senses and turn to you. That you welcome us with open arms, you shower us with grace, you invite us to your banquet. Lord, you are great and loving and Lord, I pray for anybody here who is feeling distant. Lord, I ask your spirit to move in their hearts. Lord, I thank you that in Christ our 